Welcome to Oikos. How are you all doing? Awesome. New beginnings. We are in Genesis. We continue to go through this book of the Bible. You'll find as we get into Lent, we will be going, we'll be jumping into Psalms. That doesn't mean that you stop reading in Genesis. If you're on the reading plan, you'll continue reading through Genesis. Then you'll go into Exodus, even as we, on a weekly basis, will be focusing on a Psalm. So that's our plan for Lent as we get ready for the preparation that Jesus, as we remember that Jesus died for us, that he took the sin of the world upon himself, and then he rose again, assuring us that we would truly be free, that we have nothing to fear, no death, no pain, nothing in this world can take that freedom from us. Amen. I'm done, right? No, because I got some stuff here. So Genesis chapter 28, if you were an avid Sunday school goer when you were a child, you probably saw this story pop up, but oftentimes the craft that would go with it is that you would make a little ladder, or maybe you put some angels or something. And I remember learning about this story as a kid and not really getting a good picture But as we read through it this week, the Lord spoke a good, clear word to me on what I thought the people of this community of Oikos needed to hear. And I think it's a word of encouragement that no matter where you're at today, the Lord is making a promise to you. Now that's a good, good word to take. So if you don't listen to the rest, today God is making a promise to you a promise that no one can take, a promise that is given to you directly simply because he calls you his children. And it's simple. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. We're in the story of Jacob. So just remember that we've had Abraham and then Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac has now had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau kind of loved each other, but mostly fought. Jacob was conniving. Esau really didn't have a lot of endurance. And then we get to this picture right now, and I'll go into the history of this in a little bit. Verse 10, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba, and traveled toward Haran. At at sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. The picture that we get here is that Jacob was tired. Now, it's the end of January, and many of us have had new beginnings already in this month. Some of us walked in today, and we were probably pretty tired. Maybe you're tired, not tired as like sad kind of tired, but you're tired with a lot of joy because there's been a lot of great things going on, but they've taken a lot of energy, and you're tired. Others of you may share more of the story of Jacob, Jacob was tired 
because he was full of fear. Jacob didn't leave Beersheba because he wanted to go on an adventure. Jacob didn't leave Beersheba because he was like, oh, well, I'll just go and start a new thing. Jacob left because Esau was so mad at him. He said he was going to kill him. Now, this wasn't like the normal brother, sister, brother, brother kind of idle threat. I'm going to kill you. Which you probably said if you had a, how many of you have brothers and sisters? Did you ever say I'm going to kill you? My sister said it to me so many times. One time I thought she really was going to kill me because she was throwing me around the room with my ankles and passing me and letting go and grabbing my feet as I would pass by the furniture because I had annoyed her so much. And she said, I'm going to kill you. And then when she didn't, she goes, see, I do love you. If it happens again, though, you're gone. <laughs> Esau was planning. He was thinking, how can I get rid of my brother because he's stolen my blessing? He's taken my birthright. He's taken, in Esau's mind, everything from me. And Jacob was scared. His mom was scared for her son, for her baby. She was scared for him. And so she sent Jacob away, hoping that he would survive Esau's anger, and at some point Esau would not be angry anymore, and then Jacob could return. And they also, his father was like, let's kill two birds with one stone. Let's make sure you don't die, and in the process, find a wife. And be good for you to get married. And so they send him towards relatives, Laban, his uncle, and hope that in his family he'll find a wife. Jacob, we know, was tired. He was scared. He was fearful. And I wonder in this moment if, even though he grew up hearing about the God of Abraham, the God of his father, Isaac, was his faith a little shaken? Was he really sure that God was still with him? Was he sure that the blessing that he had manipulated his brother into giving and manipulated then his father to give him a blessing upon that, was he a little shaken and not sure if God was still with him? Now, we've talked about control, and some of us, who are dealing with control issues, we know that sometimes we go after something and when we try to take control and it doesn't work out quite right, kind of like Jacob, now he's got a death warrant on him, we may get a little bit fearful and we may at that time, tell me if you're with me, doubt. Is God really with me? even though I screwed this up? Is God really with me even though this happened? Is God really with me even though I'm on the run? Is God really with me? Is this blessing still going to be upon me? 
This new beginning erupted for Jacob out of fear. And by the time night had come, he was exhausted. So he finds a simple stone to lay his head on. Verse 12, as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. And I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. God speaks to Jacob in his fear and in his doubt. And he reassures him. He gives him the same promise he gave to Abraham. He gives him the same promise he gave to Isaac. He reminds him of his identity once again. That he isn't some nobody, but he is known by God by name. And not just his name, but his father's name and his grandfather's name. That God has a plan for him. And even though it looks not so great right now, He's out in the wilderness sleeping on a rock with no real tangible future ahead of him. And everything he owned was left behind him. God says, I am with you and I will protect you. I really can think of no better words from the Lord than I am with you and I will protect you. In the moment that you are in fear, in the moment that you realize you don't have control, in the moment that you may have some doubt, that the words, I am with you, and I will protect you, are exactly what we need to hear from the Lord. He gives Jacob two promises. He gives him a promise of the future. That the land he was sleeping on is very tangible for him. That that would be his. So the Lord says, you've already seen what I'll give you. Where you've slept, this is it. It's not yours yet. So it's a future. But right here, you'll have it. He gives him a future promise of wealth and descendants. A future promise that many in the world will be blessed by him. But that's all future. Sometimes when God gives us a future promise, it's like our promise that he gave through Jesus, that we will be resurrected from the dead. Well, right now, even though that's an awesome, awesome promise, sometimes it seems out there, right? Of course, I'm thinking right now, it's getting a lot closer and tangible for me because I realized this morning that by the time my daughter's 21, I'm going to be 60. And after surviving our four kids at that point, maybe I'll be close. 
to attaining the resurrection. So, but most of us would say, man, that's so far out there. And it's so hard to grab onto. Because right now I'm living right here and right now. So what I see God do in this scripture is that he doesn't just give him a promise of the future, which sometimes doesn't help your hope. He gives him a promise of the now. His promise of the now were those words, I am with you right now. Jacob, you hear my voice and I am with you right now. In your mess that you made, I am with you and I will protect you. And then the key, I will not leave you until you see this promise fulfilled. That concurs and echoes for us as well. And the promise that we have with Jesus, the resurrection is way out there. But in the here and now, God says, I am with you. My spirit will not depart from you. I will protect you. And I will never, ever leave you. Those are beautiful and awesome words when you're encapsulated with fear or doubt or when you're tired. And you know there's more yet out there for you to do, but you're tired. The word to Jacob are the words that we need to hear often. And then we need to take a moment and remember that these same words are as true for us because in the moment that Jesus died and rose again, he assured us that our identity falls in this line. That our Father is the Father in heaven. That Abraham is our great, 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 great grandfather. Not by a natural means, but through a spiritual means. That God, in the moment that you were baptized, in the moment that you believe that Jesus is your Savior, places upon you a seal of childhood. That you're in his family. That he knows you by name. And in a dream or in his word or through a friend, he can call out to you and say, Brenda, I know you. I am here. I will not leave you. Even if everything else is messing up and you were the reason it messed up, I'm not a fickle kind of father. I'm a father who will stand by your side until one day you're by my side in the place I prepared. I wonder if you have had a time in your life when you've needed to hear these words. I'm guessing that most of us could all raise our hand and say, yes, I've needed to hear this. There's been a time when my future's been uncertain. There's been a time when I've had fear kind of pull me over. There's been a time when I felt like others had hurt me or destroyed what I had. And I needed to hear that someone was with me. 
I am with you. I will not leave you. I'll protect you wherever you go. I will not leave you. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write those down. It's very easy to remember, and yet it's so easy to forget. A few years ago, a couple years ago actually, I was on a mission trip to Guatemala. And so even your pastor has had times when I've needed to hear these words, I am with you, I will not leave you, I will protect you. Maybe this is not a newsflash, but sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I let what's happening around me be my focus rather than Jesus. Sometimes things start hitting so fast that I forget these words. And I need to be reminded. I need someone in this room right now come up and say, Aaron, he knows you by name. You have nothing to prove. He's with you. That's enough. But a couple of years ago, when I was on a mission trip to Guatemala, I had let a lot of things kind of shake me. I was listening, and I was trying to hear the word of the Lord, but there were a lot of things that had happened that just kind of threw me off for a loop. We had been contacted by a church in New York to do a restart in Queens. And I really thought the Lord was trying to pull us out of a situation that I could no longer handle and pull us into something that would be a new beginning, a new start. And as we were trying to figure this out, Everything about it seemed pretty good. They would provide a salary. They'd have, it'd be a job. It'd provide for my family. And we would no longer have to do the things that were hard at that moment to do. It would give me what I thought was freedom. At the same time, the Lord was speaking to me about starting something new. But in that moment, I could only see a lot of risk with that. Maybe not a salary. Maybe it would fail. Maybe I would be laughed at. Maybe nothing would happen at all. Oh, and look... But in the same moment on this mission trip, I saw faces. I saw a dear friend, my friend Jason, and his words to me a few months before that were, why don't you start a church? Are you scared? And like a good brother, he knew just how to put a little bit of competition in me to think I don't want to be a failure, but I also don't want to be scared. So I'd rather be a failure than be scared. And every time I saw his face, I kept thinking of those words, 
on this mission trip that I was supposed to be thinking about the mission trip, but I was thinking about everything else. And I saw another face, and it was Michelle Vanderwater. And if you know Michelle Vanderwater, she gets really excited about things, certain things. And this one certain thing she's really excited about, but she had told us up front that we were not supposed to investigate or try to figure out what they were doing. We were just supposed to go with it. But she's so excited, and when Michelle gets so excited, even when she's supposed to hold it all back, I don't think she's a good poker player. (laughs) I could tell she wanted to tell us what the Lord was doing, and yet she couldn't. And so I was sitting there, and then Sarah called me, and she said, the church in New York wants to fly us out for an interview. And I knew I needed to make a decision before people spent money on something that wasn't going to be necessary in both realms. And it was in that time that I knew that the Lord was asking me to take a risk and not just go for the for sure. And really, the thing in New York wouldn't be for sure, but in my mind, I thought it would be. And so I said, Sarah, as soon as I get back, I'm gonna send an email, I'm gonna tell them, We can't go. I think the Lord is saying to plant a church here in Houston. And so I got back on Saturday and I wrote out the email to the church in New York and thanked them for being interested. And I really did thank them for that. For that very reason, at that moment, I needed to hear that someone actually wanted me. And their words of encouragement were good, and I believe they were directly from the Lord. And I took that encouragement and said, we're not going to New York, we're gonna stay here. And we're gonna plant a church. And then I started going through all the things. I thought financial capital, the lowest capital, the easiest to get, and yet we sometimes flip it and think it's the hardest and most important. But the first thing I thought of financial, Sarah and I could be screwed, because we really don't know what we've got. And we have depended on two salaries. So I told Sarah right away, I'm, I'm gonna get a job. I don't know who would hire me because <laughs> my experience is pretty limited to the church, but I'm gonna get a job if I need to. In fact, maybe this is my freedom to go be in the FBI, but I was too old already. I was already X'd out of some of the things that I thought I wanted to do before. But I thought, you know what, even if it means Domino's, I'm gonna go work at Domino's and we'll, we'll make it happen. And so that Sunday we got up and it was kind of a normal Sunday. I knew I needed to go preach, I needed, I, I needed to go lead worship, I knew we needed to continue. And yet everything was new because we had made a decision. We'd also been told that we needed to carve out that afternoon because a group of our family had said, here in Texas, had said, we wanna do something with you. So just be open at five and don't ask questions about it. And we're like, okay. The Phelps came over, I still remember this very vividly because it was in our house and Phelps came over early 
And Jason was really excited. You can never tell if he's excited because of the beard, but he's really excited because <laughs> he's smiling. So you always look. If you can see his teeth, you know it's like pumped. And he's like, maybe they're going to give us land. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and if they were thinking that, I kind of don't want them to do that because I'd like to have some input. There's my control. And we were thinking, what could it be? And I actually kind of centered in, I bet they're going to take us out to dinner. I'm thinking, I hope it's a steak dinner because I really enjoy steak. (laughs) But I don't want it to be too fancy because we'll have all our kids. And that won't be enjoyable. So I hope it's good. And I was like, ooh. And I think Sarah and I, we even kind of delayed eating because I was pretty sure it was going to be this meal. And and then we were asked just to follow and uh, go over to this place. And we ended up over at the bayou. And at this time, there wasn't really much over there. There still really isn't as far as restaurants. And we ended up in this parking lot. And I was thinking, well, shoot. I'm not going to eat. <laughs> and then we said, they said, we're going to go on a prayer walk. And I'm like, so now I'm going to expend calories. But I thought, okay, let's just, let's go with it. We had our kids, and we were going. Of course, Aaliyah was three, and, you know, this is two years ago. And so we had our strollers, and we we started to go. And beautiful picture. In fact, I think we have a picture of us walking. Hopefully, they're all in the right order, because I'm not sure. Oh, good. I was looking at my little TV back there, and as you can see, that's why I paused. Because I thought, there's nothing up there. So this was a picture after we had already hit one of the stations. But they had put together these stations. And one family was at each, sta- each station. And they began praying the Lord's Prayer. There's six parts to the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. And they prayed through the first part. And they were having a candle there. And instantly I knew I had just stepped into something that was much different and much better than a steak meal. It was from the Father. And I was hearing his words of affirmation and confirmation about the decision we had made on Saturday. And that's not where it ended, because we continued to walk. There's six parts, so we met one family after another. We didn't realize that Six families had already said, we are ready to do this. And it was beautiful. And we went from one station to the next, and they prayed through it. And I think, I believe the Phelps were in as much shock as I was. But we kept going until we made it to the police memorial. And they had put candles everywhere beautiful picture and we knew something special was going to happen and as we got up there then David Lefevre got up to say a word from Isaiah he had the preacher stance (laughs) and I know he was nervous but he was also compelled to share a word from the Lord and it was powerful And then he invited us to go up, and as you can see, there's a a black box up there. 
We went up to the black box, and as we opened it, there was an iPad, not this one. There's an iPad in there, and Zach's first words to me were, Dad, they got you an iPad. <laughs> and I said, no, I don't think so. And I, I guess he thought that they weren't going to get Jason anything. <laughs> but they had something in there, and there were instructions to open up the iPad, and it would open up to this page. And as we opened it up, it was, it's called 932. And in there it showed that they had raised seven, over $70,000 to start this church. And plus the six families that were at the prayer stations, when we arrived there, I don't even know how many people were there. More than 50. And I couldn't speak. Imagine that. I couldn't speak. I couldn't say any words because I thought I was going to bawl, and I don't usually do that. But the words of the Lord had just confirmed, and he said in a very powerful way, I am with you. I don't remember what David actually spoke about. Sorry, bud. And I don't remember really what people said to us that night, but I remember, I am with you. I will not leave you. Do not fear. And that's the story of Oikos. That's the story of what God can do when someone hears the word and says, let's begin. I don't know how many of you had heard that story before. But if you hadn't heard it, the reason why I told it today is because just like Jacob, when God does something incredible in your life, you need to testify about it. You need to retell the story. The reason why you need to retell the story is because I don't want that story to just die with me. I don't want you to think that God has never told me in a moment when I was fearful, I am with you, because he has. And if he will do it with me, I can guarantee you, in fact, I know through Scripture that he does it with you. So those words aren't just philosophical that God is with you. Those words have meaning. They carry weight. He really is with you. He really does care that much about you. He really does care what steps I take each day. And even if I mess up, he doesn't walk away from me. He just simply tries to remind me of who he is so that I'll come close to him. That night was a dream come true. I'd wanted to plant a church for almost 10 years. Did you guys all know that? I came to Texas to plant a church, and I kind of got to do that with a thing called 931. But not the full freedom of really planting a church. So that night was affirmation that the Lord had said, now's the time. Step into it, do it. It's a moment that I'll always remember, but it's also a moment that I think 
can parallel with Jacob. In Jacob's tiredness and fear, the Lord reminded him of the mission that he had given him. And he'd also given him affirmation that he would not leave him. And so this is what happened with Jacob. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. Now Jacob wasn't thinking about a steak meal, probably. Maybe lamb. I think that's, you know, I'm not sure what he was. Might have been hungry. But he wasn't even expecting God to show up. And yet there God was right in the middle of his dream to remind him of who he was. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I'll present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob made sure that everyone that would pass by that place would either wonder why this was there or they would ask what story is connected to it. And as people asked what the story was, who were they reminded of? They were reminded that there's a Father, our God in heaven, who knows us and is calling us into his family and is asking us to be a blessing for him to change the world through him. In Revelation verse 11 in chapter 12, in those times when fear is encroaching over you and you start having those doubts, there's a clear word here on how to defeat the one who's trying to distract you from the mission God has given you. John wrote, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Jacob does this by his altar. As a church, we will do this tonight. Some of you are not always really clear exactly what covenant family means. But it's very important in Oikos. And the reason being is not because I think it's a cool name. It's not because I think it's important that we have a certain category for those who have said they're all in. But I think it's important that as we reflect on the promise that God has given us and we're ready to make that same promise of Lord, I'm all in. Because all it means in the covenant is that you're willing to say, I'm going to live a life where I'm going to try to follow the ways of Jesus, the works of Jesus, and the words of Jesus. 
And when I realize that I'm not in that way, or I'm not doing his works, or I'm not saying his words, I will repent. And all repentance means is that I'm going to turn from what I was doing, and I'm going to try to do what God has called me to do. That's what covenant family means. Very simple. That you're going to listen to the Lord's voice, and you're going to do what he says, and when you find yourself not doing what he's saying, you'll stop, you'll reflect, and you'll take a new turn. It's very simple. It's not very easy. And the reason why I believe that we need to do this as a family, because I think if we do it on our own, we will soon become fearful, we'll have doubt, and we'll get off mission. But we need each other to remind us that God is with us. Now, some of you are going to say, well, I'm not going to be able to come tonight, or I don't know if I'm ready to do that. I'm not ready to make that kind of promise. That's okay. Rejoice in those who do, because the moment that they do, they also are saying, we are going to be a blessing to everybody we encounter. So if you come here on a weekly basis, and you haven't been... He said, I'm not ready to do the covenant family thing, but I've been thinking about it, but I don't think I'm going to do it this year. That doesn't mean you're out. In fact, what that means is you should be looking for those who have said, I'm a part of the covenant family, and I'm going to look for a way to bless you. I'm going to look for a way to serve you. I'm going to look for a way to love you. I'm going to look for a way to invite you because we want you to be all in but we're not going to force anybody to do that. So tonight, the cool thing that's going to happen is that we're going to use stones. We're not going to throw them at each other, but we are going to use stones. And for every family member and their dependents, whoever they're in charge of, they'll write their name on a stone. And then they'll put that stone in a basket that will be placed up on the altar. So every person that has said, I'm ready to make that promise, I'm ready to be all in, will be in that basket. Then at any moment during this year, if you're one of those that go, give me some time, I'm not sure. I'm okay with that. Because your entrance into heaven is not whether or not your name is on a stone. That's already guaranteed. The only thing that that means when your name is on a stone is that I have just committed to a greater responsibility to serve those in the family and I'll listen to the Lord's voice and I'll help others to do the same. So at any moment that you go, wait a minute, it's March, I'm ready to be in the covenant family. But Aaron did that thing back in February or the last weekend in January, and so I guess I missed it. I got to wait. You don't have to wait. Every month as we gather as a covenant family group, if you decide during that meeting that you want to be a part of the covenant family, then I'll hopefully remember the stones and the markers, and you sign the covenant, and then you sign your name, and those who 
follow you, your dependents, your children, whoever's in your family that you're in charge of. Well, what if my husband doesn't want to do it, but I do? Well, I think that's a good conversation. But remember, if you're the husband and you sign it, your wife says, I'm not ready to sign it, that's okay. Because what you're going to do is by doing that, you're saying, I'm going to serve you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you and I'm going to take the role that Jesus took. Humble role of serving you and inviting you into this when you're ready. Not on my time, but on God's time. Because he'll make it clear. Because we believe in a God who is not distant and far, but we believe in a God who is here right now and knows your name. He doesn't know your name because you signed a covenant or wrote it on stone. He knows your name because he's almighty. He knows your name because you were baptized. He knows your name because you've called on him. He knows your name because he created you. And he wants everyone to be in the family. So may we live a life where we believe in a God that will give affirmation, will give encouragement, and will give us a mission to bless others. Because he loves you so much. And even if you're sitting there going, I don't think I'm leadership material, I don't think I'm, my life is all messed up, and so maybe I need to fix all these things before I get there, I want to tell you today again, it's not where you are, it's where you're turning to. So I don't care how messed up your life is, if you are turning towards the Lord and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life, that's exactly where God wants you. And he will walk you through this until you meet him face to face. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you have made us a family. You've made us a family where there's a lot of different opinions. Sometimes there's fights. But in the midst of all of it, Lord, there is forgiveness. So Lord, may you place upon us the ability to remember that you know us and you love us and you're with us. And at the same time, because of that relationship, you've given us a responsibility to represent you. So in our day-to-day -day lives, may we represent you, represent your words, your works, and your ways. And when we fail, Lord, may we remember that even in our failure, you are willing to bend down and whisper in our ear, I am with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.